Hello, and welcome to the Uplifting Content Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Uplifting Content, Ioni Butler. And in each episode, I'll be speaking to a special guest about a topic that matters. Enjoy the show. So without further ado, Celeste Headley, welcome to the Uplifting Content Podcast. Thank you for joining me. How are you? My pleasure. I'm like a big fan. Like I'm, I'm fan oh, I you. love it when I get to speak to people whose work I really admire. So thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Yay. So I like guests to um, introduce themselves. So feel free to share whatever it is that you'd like about your story, what you do, what fascinates you, and we'll take it from there. So I am a uh, public radio journalist. I have worked for public radio, our America's version of the Beeb, uh, for almost 20 years. Um, I have a TED Talk that's got 17 million views and some change. And, um, and that's what the, the book is based on. I mean, I basically go around the world teaching people how to talk to each other again, <laughs> which my son says is cool, but also sort of lame. So <laughs> why is it sort of lame? Well, he thinks that uh, it's, it's lame that we need someone to tell us how to talk to each other. It's a great point. It's a, <laughs> a fair point. Yes. I love it. So what is it? Um, where did your fascination with um, conversations and, and how we talk, where did all this begin? I mean, I, I started out wanting to improve my own skills, right, as an interviewer, because an interview is, as you know, is mm-hmm. it's basically a formalized conversation, right? The skills are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I started reading everything I could get my hands on, on conversation, and then I would go and test it uh, in the studio, none of it worked. Like, it was all crap. I mean, not only did it not work, but if you followed some of that advice, it literally made the conversations worse and I started thinking well this is malarkey like we have been literally teaching people the wrong things Mm -hmm. and so I had to sort of start from scratch and at the same time that this was going on I don't know how it is where you live but conversation in the United States has seriously devolved Mm -hmm. Um, not just politically but people just aren't speaking to one another. They're not speaking to people they disagree with. They're using mm-hmm. their cell phones as a way to get out of ever talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these things were sort of all percolating with me at the same time. And so when Ted, um, the TEDx said, look, th- here's what you do. You figure something, you talk, find something that you really care about that you mm-hmm. think is going wrong mm-hmm. and then tell us how to fix it mm-hmm. in, in 11 minutes. But <laughs> so. you've nailed. You've done like three of them, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love them. Um just so a couple of things. I'm in LA, so I'm very aware of uh the the state of America and the the lack of communication between people that have opposing opinions. And I'm actually working with a fantastic organization called Better Angels and they're bringing together republics and republicans and democrats to have conversations that matter. Actually, I need to turn them on to you because it's it, their work is exactly what you're doing, bringing people together, not to try and convince each other, but just to listen and try and understand. So that, that's a really amazing organization. Um, and you'd said that with all this advice, um, people were giving about how to communicate and it's just malarkey. Can you give yeah. us some examples of this advice that we're given to better communicate that, that doesn't Well, work? like maintaining eye contact. 
right? You don't, you don't like that staring? Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it turns out that when you actually maintain eye contact, it's really unnerving. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just staring at the camera now exactly. just to see how she feels about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I demonstrate this to people all the time by just maintaining eye contact. But you it's know, creepy. the other... <laughs> it is, it's creepy. It's totally creepy. But also the nodding, like I can totally tell when someone has been told yes. to nod more and say a huh. Yes. Because yes. it's totally inauthentic. It's them pretending that they're paying attention to what I say. And frankly, it's very distracting to me. Yes. It's like they're not paying attention to what I'm listening. They're paying attention. They're focusing their mental energy on nodding yeah. and saying. Acting oh. like they're listening. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. How do you, how do you feel about this one? Um, people, when they mirror mirror body body oh. language so right here's the thing because i know about all of these things i'm aware when people are doing it and it yes. really bothers me but apparently there is science that says when you mirror someone's body language but i guess it's that the sub when we're subconsciously mirroring somebody and then it's normal versus somebody going oh we're sitting in a bar doing it it happened to me recently and i just was like i think you're trying to mirror me right now stop it <laughs> Did you actually say that? No, I didn't. And oh, I should have done. Because that would have been awesome. Yeah, he's a dating coach. And I might ask him because I think it would be one of the techniques that he teaches people. And so I might ask him about it. Like, were you consciously doing it? And if so, yeah, it made me aware. And you should listen to Celeste. <laughs> yeah, but here, I mean, then this is the thing. It's not that you're not supposed to mirror people's body language. It's that when you're actually engaged in the conversation and truly listening to them, those things happen. Yes. It's that when you are actually an engaged listener, you will usually maintain eye contact and say, uh-huh, and yeah. ask questions. And, and all of those things, that's what will happen naturally. But if all you're doing is focusing on pretending to listen it means yeah. you don't actually have the mental capacity to, to listen. listen you're right you're right and it's funny because I get very cold I'm very sensitive to the cold so I'll, I'll I'll do this sometimes to keep warm and people will say oh you're very closed off and blah 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 no I'm just cold I'm just cold okay that's how I keep myself warm <laughs> everybody's a psychologist right I know, I know. they we take a couple you. quizzes on BuzzFeed and they feel like <laughs> Your eyes move to the left. I've got an itch in it, you know? Like I know. Or they watch those shows on t detecting liars and they're like, oh, a classic sign of... I know, a murderer. And I'm like, leave me alone. I'm just tired. Um, You've seen too many episodes of Criminal Minds. <laughs> yeah, stop. I know. Brilliant. Um, so what are your... What are your thoughts about and thoughts and feelings about how we communi communicate as a society in this uh, day and age? Sort of where's your opinion on all of this and, and what, what do you reckon is causing it? Well, it's mostly bad. Um, I mean, that's sadly why I have job security. And there's, a, <laughs> there's a few reasons for that. I mean, the first is, is our cell phones. But here's the thing we're about to see a lot of people blaming technology for what's going wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think that's massively unfair and misguided. Mm -hmm. Technology is not causing the problem. Technology is making it easier for us to stop communicating, right? Mm -hmm. It's making it easier for us to isolate ourselves, but it's not causing that impulse to become isolated, mm -hmm. right? Like that was present in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. um, we have to remember it's only been like maybe... 20 less than 20 years i mean when yeah. did the first iphone come out 2007 um yeah, that's how short of a time it's been since we first started to get smartphones right right this problem has been percolating for for decades so that's the first thing is that it, it's although your smartphone is 
bad for conversation. You need to not just put it down, but put it away. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the cause of the problem. The other thing I would say, and I see this really commonly, people have what they think are conversations, but instead is just this person saying what they know and believe, this person saying what they know and believe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It's two people just giving their own thoughts and what they say wouldn't change if the other person never mm -hmm. spoke, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They're monologuing together. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that's not a conversation. If you learn nothing from what you've heard, if you're not changed by what the other person says, then you have not had a conversation. I agree. I've got one friend in particular who he'll, I, I kind of, I'm very opinionated. I have very strong beliefs and I'll kind of come in with that. And then he just sort of brings things up and kind of helps me see it in a new perspective. And I love that when somebody can give me um, more ideas that make me question my own beliefs and think. I love those conversations. However, just after the election, I went traveling around South America because I just couldn't bear being in the country. I just thought it was a really sad time. And um, I went to stay with some family, friends of family, whatever, in uh, Ecuador, and they um, were Trump supporters. And I think it's really important to try and understand people's perspectives and like why people have their beliefs. Yeah. Um, but it just became like, I was just being told, bombarded with all these kind of really outrageous stories. And at the time it was before we had heard about kind of all the fake news stuff and what was going on with Facebook. I had, they, we didn't know that that was what was happening. So in my mind, I was like, where are all these crazy stories coming from? But it wasn't, I was just, just being, I found it really difficult to have that conversation when somebody's, somebody's kind of basing their argument, not in fact, um, and then also kind of not really willing to listen. So there's kind of a double point. I'm just going off on one here now. But um, one about, yes, it's great when we can share each other's ideas and listen and, and allow each other's thoughts to, to kind of shape us. But also, how do you have that conversation when someone doesn't want to listen? And two, when they're just kind of the basis of their argument is, is doesn't seem to be on fact. It's just kind of out of thin air or it just sounds really outrageous. Like, how do you manage those conversations? Yeah, well, you, I mean, you can't truly have a conversation if someone's not um, listening, right? Yeah. I mean, you need both willing partners. And at, at those particular points, um, if that's happening to me, I just say, hey, listen, I, it doesn't feel like you're actually listening to me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, you sound a little like a politician who came with talking points. Mm -hmm. So I love to have a conversation if we can both listen to each other. That's mm. something I say, and I say it fairly frequently. Um, that's a good line. The other thing is that with people who are saying stuff that's not true, they believe it's true, mm -hmm. right? Which means you have a choice. You can either prove them wrong, which will get you nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, they, there's, there's nothing humans, and I mean all humans, homo sapiens, mm -hmm. dislike more than being proven wrong, other than actual blatant hostility, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So that will get you nowhere. It may mm -hmm. make you feel better, and that's okay if that's all you want. But the other option would be then to start asking questions and say, listen, okay, they're, they're going to believe what they're going to believe. It doesn't sound like I'm going to make any difference to that, but maybe they can help me understand why they want to believe this. Maybe I can improve my own understanding through this. Mm -hmm. And you can start asking questions like, okay, so where, tell me a little bit more about this particular story. Mm -hmm. Where did you hear about this? Mm -hmm. Why do you think this is true? Sort of depths, explore the depths of it the way that an interviewer. Yes. Would. 
I had heard, and I, and I think this kind of is, is to what you were saying, I had heard that when you challenge people's beliefs or you try and kind of bombard them with facts that prove the opposite, it makes them more, it strengthens their beliefs even more. They get defensive and they hold on to it. And so a better way to do it is like you said, question them and ask them for the facts. Because typically when people are just sort of sprouting, sprouting nonsense, they don't have the facts. So when you ask them direct questions like, well, what are the statistics? Like how many people had said this? Like where is, where, what was the study that shows that? Or, you know, explain that in a bit more detail to me, not from a um, argumentative way, but from a general curiosity standpoint. Exactly. They are forced to recognize that they in fact don't know the facts and that they're making it up or whatever. Um, and without you having to be, actually you're wrong. And um, it, I have an example Which is of the it. worst. Because right. neurologically, not to interrupt you, but no. neurologically, when you do that, they are their brains are going into fight or flight mode. Like mm. they call it being defensive, but that is literally what mm. happens. Their brains are protecting both the brain and the body as though they were being attacked. So sorry, mm. go ahead. No, yeah, I mean that totally makes sense. And and this kind of happened. So maybe you can give me. Maybe I could have done it in a better way, but. July 4th this year, I was at a party and we were speaking and something, we had this kind of funny thing about, oh, if only the English stayed in control of America, it would be better. Ha 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 ha. And this guy was like, absolutely outrageously. No, like and he got really defensive and whatever. I was like, okay, I was just joking. And then it kind of somehow got into, um, well, yeah, there's more gun crime in London. London has the highest rate of gun crime murders in the world. And I was like, right. Yeah, that was exactly my reaction. I was like, no. Um, I was like, uh, what? Where did you get that from? And he was like, well, you know, I've just, I read it somewhere. And I was like, yeah, let me, can you, can you find the study that shows that? Because London definitely doesn't have the highest rate of, of gun murders in the world, or, or maybe just like murders in general. I think he was trying to say that London was like the most murderous. Most capital. violent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's definitely said murders too. And so he, oh. we ended up like, just he was on his phone googling for like 10 minutes and then couldn't come up with anything and then i and then he was but kept kind of spouting other stuff and i got my phone and just found like tons of other cities around the world that that have higher you know the top 50 <laughs> list and he, and london wasn't on it at all um and he was like well no those are all in south america and those are it just kind of whatever and so I, I thought that this was a, a tool that worked and that still he was in that fight or flight mode and was still being defensive. And then, then went on this like pathetic tangent about, well, per capita, like just pulling all these stats off the internet to try and justify how England is the highest murder rate. And I, um, I just wonder if I could have done that differently or I don't know, what do you reckon? Um, possibly not. I mean, confirmation bias is one of the most powerful forces in the human brain. Tell sadly. me what that means, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is uh, when you believe something mm -hmm. and someone shows you evidence proving it's wrong and it makes you believe it more. So mm. human beings are the only species that suffer from confirmation bias. And that mm. makes evolutionary sense, right? Like if, uh, if a mouse firmly believed there were no cats in the next room and then you showed evidence of like a billion cats in the next room and it's like, nope, I really believe there are no cats there. Like mice would, would die out off the planet, mm. right? Like it's mm. not necessarily a strength. Mm. Um, but confirmation bias is not going to be changed over the course of a conversation. And, mm -hmm. and we have actually found zero evidence that conversation changes people's minds. But look, you're the same way. I'm the same way. When was the mm. last time you had a conversation with someone and they changed your mind on something that you felt strongly about? Oh, my friend, my friend did it last week. I, and he made me realize how many what? judgments I have about stuff. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I love it when people 
give me something. Oh, I mean like a political view, like abortion or the death penalty. Yeah, no, it's not changed my mind, but I've, I can definitely understand the, I can listen to yeah. and understand the perspective, but I still believe women should have the choice, for example, but I understand like a, a different perspective from that. Right. But you're right. It okay. doesn't change my stance. Right. Yeah. So you have to go into these conversations understanding you're not going to change that person's mind, mm-hmm, right? Just mm-hmm. accept that from the beginning mm-hmm. and make a new goal for yourself. For me, that goal is just to, to learn from them rather than teach them something because you won't. So in that, so that example, then I should have, I should have tried to figure out why he feels like England, why, like, rather than try and prove that his, his comment was just stupid, just to kind of figure out where, why do you feel the need to, what makes you think that London is this credible, like murderous capital? Right. I mean, you can say, Hey, listen, so, you know, America has much more violent cities. It, it, the statistics, let's forget the statistics for whatever, but explain, you know, why are, why you're bringing this up? Why is this important? That's a great, yeah. That would have been really interesting. You're right. And, and it's far you more interesting. further into that. And, you know, I might, I might bring up some other uh, research that um, might help you. You know, there's this great book called The Knowledge Illusion by two social psychologists. And they've been trying to, to plumb the strength of uh, confirmation bias. So for example, they um, tested a bunch of people and they asked them from their opinion on what we should do about Ukraine, right? Mm-hmm. And then they showed them a map of Europe and they said, okay, point to Ukraine. <laughs> and <laughs> not surprisingly, people don't know where Ukraine is. Okay. <laughs> but the worse their geography was, and the average was off by 1800 miles. Okay. So, wow. Right. So the worse their geography was, the more likely they were to recommend military intervention. Right. So they went a step further and they started trying to figure out, okay, is there any way we can approach this kind of the way that you are thinking now? Is Mm -hmm. there any way we can do this or say this that actually makes a crack? So then they started doing these tests where they would say, okay, do you know how a toilet bowl. Do you know how a toilet works? Right? And most people say, yeah, I know how a toilet works. And then they'd say, okay, explain step by step how a toilet works. And they can't, right? Mm -hmm, Because most mm -hmm. people don't actually know why there's a bend in the pipe and Mm -hmm. how reverse osmosis works and all Mm -hmm, that stuff, right? mm -hmm. And so then, then they would ask them after then there was a crack in the confirmation bias. Mm. So then they tried this with other things like merit pay for teachers or health insurance. So if someone mm-hmm. will give a really strong opinion about health insurance and then you say, okay, explain step by step. If we were to implement your opinion, mm-hmm. how that works mm-hmm. and they can't because mm-hmm. they're not an expert in health policy. Right. Right. And so then you'll see a crack, but you know, here's the trick is you can't be doing this in a way that is just trying to make someone look foolish. Right. You can't be trying to win an argument uh, or else again, they're going to get defensive and it's all over. It has to be this, this, um, uh, an environment of sharing and openness and no judgment. Exactly. And I think that was what I was trying to do with the, like, where, where, you know, where are these statistics from? I just think I probably put a bit of judgment on it because I was just so flabbergasted by the ridiculousness of the statement. So, uh, yeah, because that's what I think that was definitely what I was trying to do. I have to master the art of asking those types of questions that helps people to kind of break down that. that well, where's stuff. your expertise come from? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it can be really hard to read statistics. Mm. Even different departments of the FBI have a different reading on statistics. But let's talk a little bit about 
what violence means to you. What does it mean to you when a city is violent or what do you think should be done? Okay, mm -hmm. you think London's really violent. So Chicago, how do you solve that? You know what I mean? Mm. Get around it from a different way. Mm. I love it. Yes, thank you. Um, do you have an example of a, a bad conversation or a conversation that you've had that did not go too well that sticks out for you and, and, and what happened and what did you learn from it? Um, okay, so I just had this recently. <laughs> oh, good. Love it. Because I know there's a cool one in your book that you mentioned, but I like a new one. Um, so, uh, my son had some issues arising at college, mm -hmm. right? They were issues that have arisen before. Mm -hmm. And I, being a patient mother, every time this particular kind of problem rises, I, I try to help him solve it. I give him my wisdom. He <laughs> listens to it, not at all. <laughs> so again, the problem resurfaces, you know, the thing. So right. I'm discussing this with my ex-husband, who am I best friends with, and uh, and he starts trying to help me and say, okay, well, here's what I'm seeing from both of you. And at one point, I just stopped and said, look, I don't want advice from you, actually. Could you please stop trying to solve my problem? And he's like, well, that's all I can do right now. And I'm like, well, then bye. <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> just to help everyone that know that even conversational experts sometimes yeah well. keep it real Celeste I like that yeah that conversation <laughs> um so this was a, a this is a particular case in which I actually hadn't thought through what it was that I was going to my ex-husband for and right. and all I really wanted to do was vent right all I needed to do was tell him look I just need to vent right I'm just right. frustrated there's no solution to this because the solution is in my son, but can I just rant for a little while? Yeah. I mean, I needed to do that. And I could have stopped at any point and said that. Right. Um, rather than to return his honest offer of help with meanness. <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. go did you go back and say anything after after the fact? I did. Yeah. I, I mean I said I'm you know, I'm sorry that was mean. You were being really kind and thank you for listening and all the things that I should have said the first time around. Right. Um, I think sometimes one of the things that I have learned is not to pretend like those conversations didn't happen. Like I used yeah. to, right. Yeah. Um, to take note of them. And that's the only way you're really able to, to walk away from them clean mm -hmm. is when you just come clean. Um, my my favorite book is the four agreements and be impeccable with your word is something that I just swear by and I, I do yeah just being able to go back and say you know I didn't mean it or this is what was going on but it takes a level of self-awareness that clearly you have but mo but many people don't have that level of self-awareness and is there a way do you reckon that people can start to become more aware of what you know how they're saying because you know some people will lash out but it takes a level of awareness to go, actually, I just wanted to vent and I was getting frustrated that he actually had stuff to offer me. Not everyone can do that. No, but I mean, I, I also don't think anybody's born doing that, mm. right? I mean, I think all of us have to uh, become self-aware because on a certain level, we care about the other people in our lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, if you're not a sociopath. Mm -hmm. so, uh, you, we all have to learn how to do that. But that means that at some point you have to slow down, not talk the entire time and, and think before you speak. Mm -hmm. That's the part we aren't really doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so on that none note. of this works, by the way, if you're not self-aware, if you don't spend any time 
paying attention to what's happened in a conversation, none of my advice is going to help you at all. So yeah, we need, we need a level of some self-awareness to get yeah. anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> so people don't have that. We just find, find that advice elsewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> it makes sense. Right. Seek therapy. Yes. That's helpful. Um, what, what is, so what are some of the, tell us a little bit about the book and some of your advice and tips on how to have better conversations. So listening is, is definitely one of them, as you've mentioned already. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I want to go back to cell phones because you can set yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is being honest about the effect that our smartphones have on our brains. And mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things is, is that the, the smartphone, the presence of the smartphone just visually mm-hmm. is deeply distracting, not only to your brain, but to the other person's brain. And, and it's kind of the same concept that if you're one of the people that leaves your email client open on your, your computer screen all the time, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it decreases your IQ by 10 to 12 points. That's nuts. Be- because at all times, your brain is like a runner at the gate, right? Mm-hmm. Your, your brain is prepared to respond to an email that comes in. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with your smartphone. My brain is thinking about this phone and prepared mm-hmm. to answer a text, even when it's not making any noise. So when, if you go to lunch and you just set your phone on the table, not only are you deeply distracted by it, but the other person they've shown in testing is more likely to think you're unempathetic, unlikable, and untrustworthy. I'm going to remove my phone from my laptop now and put it, put it, put it down <laughs> yeah. behind me. Not that you can see it. Yours is there too? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, because I was trying to fix our tech problem. Oh, yeah. We had some technical issues. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's the thing is that don't put it, I always say, don't put it down, put it away. Yeah. At least give yourself the chance yes. to, that you might be able to focus. And, and you're right. I, I had lunch at dinner with a girlfriend and she had, she'd brought that up and I, and I had my phone set out and I have team, a team that works sort of all around the world. And so I, I work a lot late at night just while people are up. And so I was in my, I was justifying it by, yeah, but you know, I need to be able to respond to my team. But again, I wasn't fully then with the, my girlfriends that evening because I was just sort of checking and you know, whatever. And so it, it, it does need to go away. Yeah, you know, that. I do an untouchable day now, which I started some months mm. ago. Um, and it's kind of off the same concept. So I set one day aside each week and I have my phone on do not disturb except for phone calls, like emergency ones. Like if you call me twice in a row mm-hmm. quickly, it'll mm-hmm. break through. Mm-hmm. Or if the phone calls coming from my son, it mm-hmm. breaks through. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my inbox is on pause. I do not look at social media, right? All day. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my, in my email, it says, if this is an emergency, here's what you do. But it's been six months and there has been no emergency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, we have this, uh, sense that everything needs to be taken care of immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. But imagine what that's doing to your body Mm -hmm. when subconsciously you think everything is urgent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Constantly in a state of stress. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the untouchable day has been just a revelation to me because now I feel actually feel comfortable leaving the house and I'll take my dog for a walk and I don't bring my cell phone. Whereas if I left my house without my cell phone before I would, you know, the anxiety. Yeah. It's yeah. That is real. Yeah. Did you say you you do it on a Sunday or is it just, I do mine on a Monday, but anybody can choose their own day. And and frankly, if you can only get four hours in, if you want to choose your untouchable four hours to start, try it. 
so is it, so does Monday mean that that's your day off on a Monday? No, I'm working usually. Oh. That's when I get a ton of writing done. Ah, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's the times when I, I read stuff that's been building up. Um, when my brain can't focus anymore, I get up and take a walk or watch a TV criminal lines or yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah, I, that's just my day. And it, it turns out that it's, it's, I spend it more like I would have in the 90s, yeah. right? Before smartphones. Constantly, yeah. I felt bored sometimes. I mean, remember wow. how we used to be bored? Yeah, who does that? <laughs> <laughs> right. But boredom is such a fertile state of mind. Yeah. Boredom, yeah. when your, your brain is not in a focused path, what happens is your brain wanders. Mm-hmm. And that's when you discover new stuff in your memory. That's when you start making connections that you never made before because mm-hmm. you're not focusing your brain on any tasks. Boredom I agree. That, that quietness also is, is a time to sort of receive, just, just to listen, because there's so much, you know, I believe in sort of being connected to source and great, greater powers. And we're so busy and hectic in our day-to-day lives. There's so much noise in the mind that when you, when you are bored, when you're just sort of there, that's when things come. So just having that quiet space. Amazing. I was in, I was at Burning Man recently and for 10 days I couldn't text or email or, or anything. And it was, I loved it. I loved that freedom. And I was just with my friends. I was just there seeing the people that were around me, like going and doing the things, not worrying about everyone else that's got way lives way cooler than mine or like having to get back to this work thing. And the world didn't come to an end and I had a really amazing time. So I think I was supposed to go to Burning Man this year and I got a respiratory <gasps> infection. Oh no. Was that going to be the first time? Yeah. Oh, let me next know year. if you, if you next go next year. year, I'll happily fill you in on all the ins and the outs. I, I think you'll love it. It's just beautiful humans connecting and just sharing experiences and being creative and having fun and joy. Like I just, I just love it. So yeah, happy to fill you in. Great. And, and look at nature. I mean, we're just started realizing how even just looking at a tree actually heals you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, didn't they do a study about a prison? There was, a, well, it wasn't even a study. It was an accidental study, but there was a prison that had one side looking out onto sort of grass and trees and the other side of the prison looked out onto like a concrete courtyard or a yeah, wall. parking lot and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. And the inmates on the, the concrete wall side were just way more depressed than, than the ones that had a view of, of an outside. And, and I, in my current apartment, I used to live in an apartment that looked out to a, a parking lot. Now I have a tree and grass and beautiful greenery and I feel instantly happier, just so much happier here just because of that. So yeah. You know, we forget there's nothing particularly wrong with technology. Technology is awesome, mm-hmm. but we forget that I mean, technology is natural to human beings. We've been using it since the Stone Age, blah, right? You're, you're, if you pick up a screwdriver, it's so natural that your brain will treat that screwdriver like an extension of your arm, right? Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. nothing inherently wrong with tech. The problem is, is that when you finish the task, when you put together the bookshelf for whatever, you put the screwdriver down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're not designed to have that tool always present you know yep. and it's funny there's this really great there's this, this really great study in which they had a whole group of girls do something really stressful they had them like either solve math problems in public or you know do something in front of an audience and judges right mm-hmm. and then after they were finished they were they were either they heard nothing from anybody in their family mm-hmm. or they got a text from their mom or they got a phone call from their mom mm-hmm. right so the the women who got 
no and and, and i think the last one was in person mm -hmm. so the the girls who got uh reassurance from their mothers either heard their voices or saw them in person their cortisol levels their stress hormone dropped significantly their oxytocin that's the mother's mm -hmm. hug neurotransmitter mm -hmm. uh rose significantly they were much better off mentally and physically afterwards mm -hmm. the women who either didn't hear anything the girls who either didn't hear anything at all or got a text pretty much no difference between the two mm -hmm. that text made no difference mm -hmm. really wow so wow. we think yeah, we think that texting is the same as conversation and millennials and, and Gen Z are, are the most likely to believe that. And it is not by any definition, not at all. And, and you were saying that studies have shown that our empathy is sort of declining. And I yeah. guess because of that, because people can't, they're not feeling that connection. And it's just so kind of like a yeah, we have through millions of years of evolution, what we are is a social species that is designed to understand one another and connect with each other empathically through the sound of the voice. Mm -hmm. Not even physical presence is as powerful as the sound of your voice. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah, wow. absolutely. So then you find out that, um, that we're avoiding it, right? We, a phone call comes in on your phone and you yeah. immediately reject it and yeah. then text. What is it you want? Right? So weird when people do that. It is bizarre. Yeah. So here's this thing that we are, we are, we evolutionarily, biologically, neurologically do better than any other species. And we're like, eh, I don't mm. need that. Let me send an emoji. That's scary. Yeah. It's not a good idea. So just jumping back to something you said, the, the, the beautiful kind of analogy metaphor, I always get confused with which ones they are about the, the tool and using the screwdriver to put, yeah, which one is it? What am I trying to say? <laughs> well, it, that? De it depends on, I mean, an, I was using an analogy, but yeah. Gotcha. Great. Um, about the screwdriver, using it for the bookshelf and then putting it down because it's a tool on a deeper, more spiritual level. Um, the mind is a tool and we need to be able to get used to using it when we're using it and also putting that down. But what's happening is that a lot of people are just so in the mind, there's never that quiet and it kind of takes over. So that was just something that kind of stuck out for me. I love The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Have you ever read that or heard yeah, of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love it. The mind is one of the greatest tools, but it's taken over us and we don't know how to use it versus just be overcome by it. Um, and then, so I love to talk to people. I love voice notes um, and it freaks people out. What, how, yeah. how can I, <laughs> without, I mean, and I do, if I'm sort of dating somebody, I get them on WhatsApp and I make them listen to my voice notes. <laughs> And everyone's like, I never do this. It's only you made me do this. And I'm like, yes, I like my English voice. I like to talk. You're going to bless listen. you for doing that. Yeah, <laughs> right. doing it. But like, how do we, you know, is there a way of kind of just easing people in or, or uh, yeah. Like how do we get kind of get people talking again on the phone or, I mean, you're basically describing my, my challenge, right? Like, mm. I mean, personally, I can force all my friends to do that because if they want to talk to me, then they'd better call me. Yeah. Um, and my son knows if I call, he'd better pick up the gosh darn phone. <laughs> um, and my, you know, employees used to sit 20 feet outside my office and send me emails. And I would, <laughs> I would lean out the door and say, I just deleted that. <laughs> so, I'm you know, <laughs> come to the office. Um, so in a lot of ways, and also like in email with somebody will send emails back and forth. I let about three of those exchanges go. And then I'll say, we're not going to solve this over email. When do you have five minutes mm. on the phone? Yeah. Um, and people have come to expect that they need to talk to me. But here's the beautiful thing is that 
it, it spreads, right? Like the people that I know are also picking up some of those habits as well. And they're not picking them up because they're trying to please me. They're picking them up because they've either remembered or realized the phone is actually more efficient than email. It just yeah. is. Yeah. Um, there's too much miscommunication in email. We think we're being clear, but we're actually not actually efficiently communicating a message. Mm -hmm. So the phone is more efficient. It, you think of it this way. How many times has a friend called you and all they have to say is hello and you say, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. There is an incredible amount of information that's being transmitted to you just through the sound of their voice. Yeah. Things that, um, uh, are, are called emotional gradients. Mm -hmm. can't be tracked. We don't know entirely how they work, mm -hmm. but it's our superpower. Mm -hmm. That's what we do well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's what we're choosing. That's like if Superman was like, eh, I'm not going to fight crime. I'd rather just text. Right? <laughs> this is so weird. Why Superman? That's stupid. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Like here's the thing you do better than everybody else. Use it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great point. Celeste, this has been fantastic. I absolutely loved your book. And um, Celeste has kindly offered to give away a copy of the book. And one of the things that I might suggest is get the book or her audio book because you narrate it really, really well. Um, oh, I really enjoyed it. And I do audio books, so I... I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but it's a really enjoyable listen, but also um, you can enter to win a copy and then perhaps give it to a friend that needs it. I think that would be a good way of going about it. Um, so it's called We Need to Talk. Um, and just, yeah, just to finish just by letting people know where they can find information about you and uh, yeah, maybe just a, a little summary of, of what the book is about. So the book is basically, if you've seen the TED Talk, which is like only 11 minutes or so, this is the 60,000 word version of it, with <laughs> all of my own experiences and all the, the research to back it up. It's my attempt to kind of explain some pretty complicated neuroscience in as simple a way as possible. Yeah. But, um, and the easiest way is just go to CelesteHeadley.com. That's everything is all gathered in one place. Yes. What's going on with your music stuff, by the by? Well, I do have, I've moved to DC in, in March. And so I have a new voice teacher um, at, and uh, I'm putting together a uh, recital uh, tour of American music. So. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yes. I would like to know when you're coming to LA, please. Thank you. That'd be awesome. My hometown. Oh, it is. I never it knew is. that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, this has been fabulous. Thank you so very much again, um, guys. I will see you back next week, next Tuesday for another interview. Um, but until then, take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Uplifting Content Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and find it uplifting and inspiring, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you take a picture of your review and email it to us at info at upliftingcontent.com, we will send you a little gift to say thank you. Also, to make sure you never miss a beat, subscribe to my email update. I promise I won't spam you and I send less than one email a month on average. You can find the sign-up link in the show notes. See you next Tuesday for another episode. Bye.